Hello, good evening and welcome to The Game Is About Glory. I'm your host, Steph, and joining me tonight are Ram, Ricky and Milo. Hello, gentlemen. Hi, Steph. Steph. Evening, Steph. Good to see you all. Uh, And welcome all of you out there, including our new listeners, to the Season Review Pod, where we will muse over the lows and highs of a memorable 2021-22 season, which basically is about BC and AC, before Conti and after Conti. We will then be giving out our second annual Glory Glens, so stay tuned because our choices may not be typical. By the way, Eric Dyer has not swept them all. Or has he? The tension is unbearable, for me anyway. Should we just say that our Glory Glens are our kind of award ceremony, so people who haven't heard them before know what we're talking about? Do you think that we, in this modern age, the Glory Glens are not big enough that people don't put them up there with the Oscars and the BAFTAs? I suppose you're right. There might be a couple of people. And now we will start by looking back at the week that was, uh, and uh, what a week it's been, my word. Not often have we been able to start, well, not ever have we been able to start a pod by saying that ENIC have pumped 150 million quid into the club to be mainly used on transfers. Right, chaps? Been a while. Oh. That's right. So <laughs> I, I see Milo's edging. He's, 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 hell, he's feeling cheeky tonight. I can see it. I can see the smile. Come on, out you come. Come on, let's hear it. Well, it's, it's a big pot to play with, isn't it? It is a big pot to play with. And why don't you tell us a little more about that playful pot that we'll have, and then, Ricky, you can come in and break down some of the uh, the figures as well. Guys, take it away. I'm leaving the, I'm leaving it to the money men on the Game of Thrones glory. <laughs> Cash rules everything around me. Dollar, dollar bills, y'all. Wow. So- <laughs> is that you singing? <laughs> no. Ram, he's just done a bit of rapping, hasn't he? <laughs> it's the end of days. It is the end of days. It had better be amplified and not cut. Anyway, sorry, sorry, <laughs> sorry, DJ Milo, carry on, mate. So basically, Enoch have pumped 150 million into the club. It's the money gets converted into shares. So there's 150 million pounds for them to draw on or the club to draw on till the end of the year. When we draw on it, it gets converted into shares. If all of it gets drawn on, then Enoch increased their pot, you know, share of the pot by about 2%. As you were saying, Steph, basically, they've said it's it's there predominantly for, for transfers. I think they've said you know, possibly some for infrastructure stuff. But um, yeah, mainly, mainly there for a transfer kitty. And if we add that on to kind of the proceeds from sales and what we'd normally have uh, to spend in the summer and bit extra maybe for qualifying for the Champions League. It looks like a tidy kitty for uh, for Fabio Paratici to to spend and improve the squad. And I'm going to kind of preempt what I think Ricky might be saying here. And I think there's early signs of hopefully it means that we can actually do our business early and we don't have to rely on sales before we can start spending. Yeah, it certainly brings in um, the flexibility when it comes to spending. I mean, obviously, music to Conte's ears, I think he was, it's what he wanted to hear. It's 100% back in, um, and that resonates with the supporters as well, especially when we've looked for this in the past. But um, I think the other thing to understand is, I think, uh, from Levy's point of view, we're actually in a position to do this now. And sometimes before, he had other things as well, other things with the ship that he had to control. And I think this was always the final final act and I think what's happened is he's obviously come across you know I mean fair play to him he appointed the man but he's come across a man that he, he can believe in and he can back it's definitely going to give us some flexibility uh with 
with not having to do sales because we've got a big a big chunk of sales to get through as well. But I think Paratici, and uh, it wouldn't surprise me if this was organised quite a while ago that this would be happening. So it wouldn't it it just wouldn't surprise me. If conversations have been had all the way along. I think they do talk regardless of whether in the press they say, "Oh, I'm going to have a meeting. I'm going to have a meeting." I think it's an ongoing thing. I think I've seen that with Paratici in the Juve documentary. He was constantly talking to them around the table to the people that matter. Well, he definitely likes a chat. He likes it, yeah, oh, on the phone or he in He likes person, a little yeah. bit of a, he likes, he's a bit of a Swiss Tony, as we've established before, <laughs> if you will, but he's a, he's a lovable Swiss Tony and he's Italian, so he's not Swiss, is he? Anyway. But I mean, basically, basically though, it squares the circle, I think. I think you, you, there's no point having this man in charge if we weren't going to do this. And due to the sort of figures in the last accounts with the liabilities of the transfers we already owe, it was almost kind of impossible to see how it would work if we weren't going to be forthcoming with, um, with some funds to help him. So, and I think we probably look for an outside investor, but alas, it's not. So I presume Levy's gone to Uncle Joe and twisted the old man's arm, I suppose. Um, I think Levy's more up for this than probably Uncle Joe is. I mean, Levy's the day-to-day runner of the club, and I think he almost wants to see this through to completion, I think. Yeah, I think I think the other thing is is that there's a real window of opportunity here. You know, the top two are, you know, very, very established. But after that, it starts, there's a lot of kind of variables and unknowns there. You know, Chelsea are changing ownership. There's a lot of key players leaving Chelsea this summer. And I, I think Tuchel has underperformed this season with what he's got. So it's very difficult to know where Chelsea are next year or for the next couple of years. Uh, Arsenal have missed out on Champions League. You know, can they pull themselves together and go again difficult to know this is a much politer version of the conversation we had off the court on that point now. <laughs> much polite we're being much more professional but carry on man united are just you know in that constant Shit. stream of chaos Shit. and getting every Shit. key decision wrong they've had <laughs> since ferguson left the club you know and so it, it's a real perfect opportunity and with the new Champions League rules coming in, which we spoke about a few weeks back, where there's more money there and you've got to get yourself in on that. We, you know, going back to our kind of 90s Spurs podcast where we talked about us then, we missed the boat and it took us a long time to catch up and we can't afford to miss the boat again. And if we, if we spend now and we establish ourselves, you're kind of in that top three, then it's going to be very difficult for the other clubs to catch up with us. It's a locked door. There's a glass ceiling then. So let's follow on with the Turin meeting uh, that uh, Paratici and Conti had, uh, which happened uh, last Friday in Turin. And the good news is that uh, Antonio Conti has indeed agreed to continue as manager. Uh, and the pair discussed and agreed our summer transfer priorities. And in a sign of how we are now operating, uh, Daniel Levy apparently did not travel to Italy for this meeting and instead left it to Paratici. And chaps, we saw the first tangible fruit of this meeting indeed i have to invoke my jazz uh, my jazz band if you will <laughs> the return of tangible fruit more singing <laughs> hi this is tangible fruit ivan perisic coming to the club yeah presumably one of antonio's priorities <laughs> anyway <laughs> anyway i'll now say that without jazzing it without tangible fruiting it <laughs> 
presumably one of Antonio's priorities. Uh, Ivan Perisic uh, is likely going to come in as a left wing back, but let's face it, we've got one of the best around in terms of experience, versatility, uh, and buying into the cause. Remember, Antonio broke him once. I mean, he actually got packed off to buy Munich once because he That's wasn't right. fitting what Conte wanted. And so, so he's already been through that initiation with him, and he found, uh, you know, he found a Perisic coming back to him at Inter Milan, who was fully in the Conte cult. So it, it, it's just so perfect. And anyone who's listened uh, regularly will know that I, I, I was hoping that he would sign. I mean, he hasn't actually signed yet. I guess he won't be signing until, well, hopefully by the time this pod comes out, it will have been officially confirmed. They're saying it's a two-year deal uh, and there is a hand up. And that means that someone's either going to ask you to sing again or correct me. I'm not going to ask you to sing again ever. <laughs> <laughs> Now, now that you found your voice, <laughs> <laughs> his, his contract runs until uh, end of the end of June, doesn't it? So, um, yeah, there might there might be an announcement, but basically, he's under contract to them until then. I think um, all of the signs are that everything's been agreed. It's there. It's a done deal. He's joining us. Yeah. He's joining us when his contract is, with Inter expires. Yeah, I mean, what's very encouraging, I think, and I, and you guys either can agree or come in and not, is that you know he's thirty three years old. He's not a typical signing for this club over the last ten fifteen years in terms of age, but he is the perfect signing for what we need now if we actually want to really push on and win in those final moments. He's the player. He's the sort of player you want. He's part of the Croatia team that reached the twenty eighteen Cup final. He's won trophies and. Anyone worried about his health? He started 35 of Inter's 38 Serie A games this season. So, Bumbadi Booba, what no. a signing. Very good indeed. And speaking of Bumbadi Booba, or Duda, or whatever it is, uh, more tangible fruit this week when Fraser Forster came to be our backup goalkeeper. <laughs> He's just horrified. Fraser Forster is going to be our backup goalkeeper. Um, it will be completed at the end of June, this deal. Um, had a medical at Hotspur way this week, and it's a free from Southampton. Forster coming in means that the rapper with gloves, Pierluigi Golini, will return to Atalanta when his loan expires at the end of the season, despite winning his own personal award, I suspect, as the uh, one of the most popular players in the dressing room. Milo, do you want to throw down a rap for us about uh, Golini, seeing as you're in the mood? <laughs> We we did play his um, his single when he joined, didn't we? Oh, we did. Yes, we, we yeah. did. Yeah, I don't remember it. No, no, no nor do I. <laughs> Otherwise, you'd be turning down my mic to stop me carrying on rapping through it. Oh, the teasing promises of a man with with talent and a mission. On Wednesday, the club announced that Dane Scarlett has signed a four year contract running until the summer of 2026. Dane made just seven of the first team appearances for us in the season just gone, but has had to spend most of the season on the bench as part of the first team squad. And his last appearance was as an 87th minute substitute against Leeds back in February. It's probably a, an excellent move, isn't it? To get it uh, because he will probably go out on loan and get the football he needs. Hopefully. Yeah. 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 Long-term yeah. signing that one for sure. Kasper Karilowicz. Our under-23 keeper will be released by the club when his current deal expires at the end of June after 11 years. He spent last season on loan at Potter's Bar, where he made seven starts, and we wish Casper all the best. So we're going to break protocol a little bit here um, with this last um, event uh, in the week that was, and we're going to talk about a situation in a football match that did not involve Tottenham Hotspur, and we're going to talk about the Champions League final in Paris that happened yesterday. Um, I'd like you to forget about the match for a moment, and I'd like you to concentrate on what happened at the Stade de France at last night's final uh, with regards to the tear gassing and kettling of Liverpool fans, which, um, let me just be very blunt, we have all discussed in detail 
detail and, and agree was a total disgrace. Um, the reason we think it's important to talk about this right now is because um, some of the peddled narratives about Liverpool fans misbehaving and, and being to blame are, are, are frankly appalling to us. Um, it's simply not true. Um, and in an age where, you know, peddled narratives of misinformation do seem to be, uh, you know, rather more frequent than they should, we'd like to make sure it stops uh, at least in this remit with regards to this particular incident of football uh, and, and this football match. Between UEFA, the French Football Association and the French police, there was a catastrophic mishandling of the entry protocols and procedures. Uh, and it resulted in fans who had arrived two hours prior being funneled into artificially created narrow corridors of space with too few gates open and the added confusion of local youths trying to scale fences to gain entry. You know, the blame game is in full force and UEFA were blaming um, late fan arrival at the game while they delayed the game. And then just today, they're blaming fake tickets. Um, you know, one false narrative shot down must lead to another being peddled. But I, yeah, I just want to say this. Alexander Seferim, who is the president of UEFA, earns £1.9 million a year, yet under his stewardship continues to disrespect true fans on a regular basis, from pathetic ticket allocations to this sort of appalling dictate of plan and infrastructure and subsequent arse covering. So the next time this guy tells you that another proposed Super League is not in the interests of football and UEFA are, remember this moment. Remember the fact there are only 16,500 fans from each club in with uh with with tickets given tickets sixteen seventeen thousand let's just say it was not anywhere what it should be proportionately for a game of this size they don't care they have more sponsors in there than they had real fans and the real fans who had tickets they couldn't even get in so this could be you next season when we go abroad you know champions league away day is amazing um but if you have to live in fear that just arriving at a stadium could lead to you being tear gassed refused entry or beaten then we have major problems in our season preview show Back last August, we made some predictions for the coming year. Oh, oh my word. I may not have read this. I don't like this very much. <laughs> this is worse than that name he just tried to make me pronounce. He didn't think I'd research. Milo has the receipts. How did we do? Oh, dearie me. The truth is going to come. All right. Okay. So on on that episode back in August uh, were me, you, Steph, mm. Ricky, mm. and Armour. Our founder. <laughs> so, so Ram, you can rest easy. <laughs> so, we'll go through them in order. So, the first one was, where will we finish? Mm. And I said we'd finish fourth. Mm. Steph said we'd finish fourth. Ricky, you said fifth. And Arma said fifth. Winner. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it doesn't get better from there. It doesn't? Premier League winners, we all thought that Chelsea would win it. Yeah. <laughs> But that was the Jonah prediction. Just so as you know, that was our like opposites. You know, we did that hoping that it would be a Jonah prediction, didn't we? Really? Well, I suppose no. we didn't predict a war, did we? So, <laughs> um, <laughs> talk I, about I, bringing I, it down to brass yeah, tacks. Sorry. Fucking hell! <laughs> I think we were all quite impressed with how Tuchel had done in his first six months, and thought that he'd push on from that. And definitely. Yeah. Yes. And that you know they'd signed a striker. We didn't realise he didn't know what he wanted to do with him. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's very true. Yeah, we do. That, that do. So well, Champions well League. Stated. So I thought PSG. Steph thought PSG or Bayern Munich. Ricky thought Man City, and Armour thought PSG. League Cup, clean sweep for City. Although Armour thought City or Spurs. Um, that was based on them winning it every year for God knows how long. Uh, yeah, FA yeah. Cup. I thought Man United. Steph thought Villa. <laughs> that's uh, because Ricky's i like to think i like to think of my friends when well, we're doing that just so it's very pleasant <laughs> mm. 
Could be worse. Ricky thought Leeds would win it. And <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a wet man, you. Uh, the Europa Conference. Sure. Possibly the most a- embarrassing of those, actually, is Man U at this point because they are the yeah. <laughs> Europa Conference, we all got a bit heady and all thought we'd win it. <laughs> Steph's, Steph's best mate won it in the end. <laughs> oh, you had to say it, didn't you? God damn. Yeah. yeah, well, we, none of us could have said Roma because we, you know. So I, th- I think Steph had. Right. I think Steph had us beating Roma in the final, actually. So I did. I, I was actually dreaming of the day. Yeah. Relegated, I said Burnley, Watford, and Norwich. <laughs> Very good. Steph said Newcastle, Burnley, and Norwich. <laughs> Two out of three. Uh, Ricky said that. Newcastle, Brentford, and Watford. And Armour went for Palace, Brentford and Watford. Mm. I think it's fair to say that was a mixed bag. Yeah, I think if you get two out of three, you can consider yourself somewhat, uh, uh, you know, doing okay. But you you definitely got the royal flush. I went the whole thing. (laughs) 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 Okay, I mean, let's, let's ask now. I mean, I suppose a couple of us will, you know, we sort of almost put our predictions, you know, our expectations wrapped in those predictions somehow. But well, again, what were your expectations back in August? Especially, Ricky, as you quite accurately pointed out, we are in the BC stage at this point. We're in we're in the before Conte era. Mm. Nuno is there. We've probably, if we're polite, convinced ourselves that he's the man who's going to bring calm and, and, and some sort of air of dignity to the club after the previous uh, monstrous clown um, uh, who disrupted us and kind of besmirched us. So what were our true expectations? Like, we can be honest now. I think, like you're saying, moving on from Jose, it was, I think one of the reasons we gave Nuno some credit or some acceptance was because of the calm and influence he'd bring. Mm. He was like a kind of, you know... He was the opposite of Jose, and we needed that at the time. And I suppose in hindsight now, it would be that we... I mean, the summer search for manager obviously did drag on. You know, we did go for a few people. Um, we And, and yeah, we ended up at, you know, the jumble sale of managers, maybe. But um, I think that's a bit... <laughs> Oh, it was a car booter, as you'd put it. It was, it was a car booter. I remember that now. It's all coming back to me now. Yeah. Um, so, um, but I think we'd rationalised it and we wanted to give Nuno every chance because I think we detected he was a nice man. He was, a, you know, he, he spoke well. Uh, but were there slight hints of him towing the club line when it came to image projection and that kind of thing and saying the right stuff? Um but that expectations, what did that give me? I mean, as I said, I thought we'd finish fifth because I just didn't think he is in the top echelon of man- managers. But we obviously, I mean, the other thing we'd, well, I suppose we have to wait to the end of August. But the other thing we'd done is kept Kane, I suppose. So they're always going to give you some hope because mm. the forward line is 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 good. So listening back to that episode, it was quite interesting. <laughs> that was recorded the week, the week we'd beaten Arsenal in um, that three-way tournament we had yeah. with them and Chelsea so, we'd, you know, we'd lost. so there was a slight optimism around that I think we were all a bit relieved that the kind of the circus had come to an end and there was a little bit of stability around the club and that he's a nice guy um I think we're all kind of aware of his limitations but uh, hoping yeah hoping that um it goes the right way and then in terms of the squad I think we were pretty impressed with the transfer business up at that point, you know, because Romero's come in at that point. There's a few others, some good players coming there. We know that we've got a good front line. And my view at that point was that we had a squad capable of getting top four and that we needed to get top four and that, you know, getting top four also denied someone else that opportunity. So that had to be, that had to be the target for the season. At the point we recorded that episode, at least there, there wasn't that. 
the impending doom of what we were <laughs> what we were undertaking that came you know a, a month or so later i think my expectations when nuno came in was that we wouldn't finish top 4 um and i thought it was going to have to be some sort of transitional season but i i didn't discount that nuno could what what he could do for us i think i was more buoyed by listening to the pod that okay maybe he is the guy who can bring calm and stuff like that and you know and and, i've got a confession for you in a minute yeah but like i remember his very first um the the official like uh not press conference but like his video to Mm. the fans and i watched that and and there was this horrible feeling in my stomach of like oh oh god oh god oh god oh god (laughs) but i was just we're gonna make you proud was it (laughs) yeah yeah but he stumbled over it if you you listen to the pod i owe you an apology and i actually probably owe you a little bit of an of honesty here right now i can i can quite honestly tell you having uh, he was first rumored to come to us a couple of years prior as like ah when potch finally makes his way he wouldn't be bad and i'm thinking christ not him he would not work for us he wouldn't work and when he was appointed i think my support of him was dictated solely by my emotional need at that time really i couldn't afford to allow myself to not believe in him uh i can tell you with hindsight being 100% honest, I didn't really believe in him because I didn't believe he had the personality to convey. And even when he was being calm and serene and I was saying he's bringing an air of calm and serenity, I was probably lying to myself because, you know, I didn't really see where it was going to come from, the fire. And so it's definitely a leap of faith for me and blind support, absolute blind support. And I think when his name was coming up earlier in that process, that long search for a manager, all of oh. us just discounted saying he's just not the right man for the job. I think we yeah. did. I think it's probably on record. Yeah. And, and then by the end of it, it was like, look, he's not an arsehole. That's enough. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. exactly. Ma- it's- maybe he'll make a player out of Doherty. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's sort of like when you're left with that stale cheese sandwich that's the last one in the petrol station, but you're absolutely starving. And by halfway through it, you sort of convince yourself, well, you know, there is a certain uh, uniqueness to this that actually works for my meal needs right now. It was sort of that kind of spin. And I really felt I'd done that. And so, you know, I, I am as uh, been well established probably at this point an optimist and I do try and find the most positive curve and I did in that point feel he was probably the right person well, he was the only person because let's face it he was the only person that came but he was, it was good in the way that he did manage to at least get us to a neutral point from the previous yeah. I mean, so yeah. I give him that I think I think we've got to be fair he came in a week before pre-season started yeah. yes. and the one thing worse than Nuno would be not having a manager when pre-season no Nuno. started <laughs> yeah one thing was Nuno, it'd be no Nuno. No Nuno. Yeah, and, 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 and again, in fairness to him, he kept his trap shut. Didn't say very yeah. much. Didn't I'm sure that he wasn't getting any of the many guarantees of his the guarantees he would have wanted. He had a striker that quite obviously didn't want to be at the club at that moment or was throwing a strop and didn't and probably took one look at him and thought, mate, what are you gonna do for me? Not much. And so he's fighting an awful lot of things there. Um, so that's a very yeah it's it's well well put forward there milo he did deal with that but uh and then we beat city in the first game exactly i was <laughs> i was just going to say that i mean due to the short period he had with pre-season and the cane issues going on i suppose looking at where we've ended up at the end of the season uh we're grateful that he managed to squeeze those three wins in a row right yeah. at the start because that's nine what points an excellent, it's, you know it's an yeah. excellent point three goal three nine points three goals but no con- none conceded <laughs> so, am i correct was that the first yeah, three games that yeah. was it yeah 
And he had the glory of um, that Man City game because that was like one of the... I mean, people that went said that was an amazing atmosphere that day when we beat them 1-0 yeah. in the opening game. So he had his moments. Uh, very good points there made, uh, made Ricky and Ram. Very good points indeed. Um, and I suppose we should then consider, you know, when did it all start to go wrong? I mean, we did have this great start which is somewhat forgotten until you reminded me. Uh, you know, when did you start to worry about Nuno? When did it all start to go wrong for you personally? For me, it was during that great start. So uh, Watford on the 29th of August was when I thought he wasn't the right person for the job. Um, I didn't... The Wolves game, so the second game of the league game of the season, I had my doubts. The Watford game, I was certain that he was wrong. You know, we've been poor against Wolves. The two legs against Pacos were painful uh we weren't creating chances i didn't see a plan and yeah i I, from that point i was pretty i was pretty convinced that he was the wrong the wrong choice and yeah i remember so for the wolves and the watford game i was in the czech republic and so i'd watched them over there and um i remember in our chat group i think stefan you you and i had quite a heated discussion about it at that point and you'd accuse me of being unnecessarily negative about him um sounds about right (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> well because i was so um, sold on the fact that i couldn't afford to allow the truth to creep anywhere yeah, close yeah, yeah. to me at that point no i mean that's a, that's a that's a fact and of course you don't suffer from that condition and then of course after that you've got the international break and then the palace game which was an absolute clusterfuck oh, and, and that's that when the, that's when it really started to go wrong uh i was just gonna say i mean i like i wholeheartedly agree with that that uh you know my my worries were from that that opening these opening three games and i remember very specifically a lot of rival fans and friends were saying oh wow so actually Nuno's like he's come in you guys look like you could be challenging for the league then I was like I I kept saying to them I was like I don't know if you watch the games but that is our our league position is firstly it's only the first three games but it is not a reflection of how we're playing and just just as Milo said I thought the performances were suspect and unsustainable based on our chance creation Mm. based on the chances we were conceding and (laughs) at our worst in the previous seasons we didn't look for me any better than at our worst sorry Ricky I just have to jump in I just have to jump in with another mirror of my delusion at the point this chance creation stat was being run and of course it was undeniable but I was talking about yeah well but what you're not seeing is that if they would just play that ball a little quicker then he would have had a chance and that's surely a chance in and of itself that we haven't taken i mean i was so far up the swanee of my own uh delusion trying well, to convince myself me, it was Steph, okay. so. <laughs> but i would say though i mean this is to milo and ram is it realistic to kind of like assess a manager after three games? Isn't that like a bit like an Italian football club owner's assessment, isn't it? Like they'll just piss someone out the door that quickly. Milo Pozzo. <laughs> I just think it's like, I'm not, I'm, I'm not saying Rambozo. you're wrong, Milo but I'm just saying it is a bit like quite, it's quite early to go with a full on prediction, isn't it really? Of just thinking he's rubbish. Well, we were right, Ricky, though. <laughs> well, I hope not. That's what I'm saying, because you would be running a second division's Italian football club, boys. <laughs> I wasn't full Nuno out, but I certainly wasn't. Yeah, this, I, I certainly wasn't. This, we're on the right path here. No, um, yeah, I I was full Nuno out from Arsenal. I know when. Yeah. Arsenal. Oh, <laughs> let's talk about the that. The, is that the worst? Is that the worst forty-five minutes we've seen in in, in oh, so many so years? That because right? yeah. oh, we lost three 0 to Chelsea and then yeah. Arsenal. Yeah, oh, I think we tried Arsenal, to mitigate yeah. the Palace game, didn't we? We tried to mitigate the Palace game. Yeah, we, we were quite did. good against Chelsea yeah. despite losing. 
Yeah, we and we were. should have, that true. goal should have stood yes. Kane's goal. Yeah, and then yep. we were fucking awful against Arsenal. <sighs> awful. Yeah. One of the worst 40, first 45 yeah. minutes that I've seen in recent memory was absolutely oh, we, we, appalling. We made up for it. <laughs> and it was entirely down to Nuno. Nuno went in there with a just an insane, insane yeah. tactical plan. Yeah. Nuno knew Nout. I mean, I'd... I, yeah. I mean, honestly, I mean, Undembele kind of aimlessly wandering around that pitch trying to work out what he's meant to be doing was just one of the worst, yeah, it, it, <laughs> worst, worst 45 minutes fact, ever. The fact that we're struggling for adjectives uh, accurate yeah. enough to describe how awful that performance was is is surely... Actually, it's probably something that our listeners can identify with. It was terrible. But then came uh, the... the yeah, soon after came the Manchester United game, um, which, I mean, so, look, so, this pod so, believes was our most so important game that, in recent history. That Arsenal game, uh, the pod title of that the episode where we talked about that was a bad plan poorly ex- executed. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> it was yeah perfect yeah, I, yeah, yeah that's a bit, it. <laughs> but i mean as, as and and then as i as i was just saying you know that we have said on this pod consistently um that the manchester united home game was probably the most important game in our recent history correct and anyone want to for those listeners who don't know what we mean uh when we refer to a three nil uh thumping uh by manchester united at home as a vital result in our recent history who wants to take that one on who wants to explain it were you there ram I ju- I, were you I booing? Was, I've, come on ram. <laughs> no 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 I, i'm not a booer <laughs> I mean, look. Okay, let, let's okay. I'll put it on. I'll, I'll serve it on a plate. It was the moment when we knew it had to be new. No, 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 no more. Right? I mean, unfortunately, it was, and it felt terrible because it just seemed to be such a disconnect between him and everyone at the club. I mean, I got the impression that he's even locked himself away from the tea lady at that point. He seemed so yeah. detached, and I, I hope mm. that there was nothing personal going on behind the scenes with him. And and if there was, you know, you, you genuinely hope that it's all okay now because the the man I have no animosity towards he was lovely Mm. and and incredibly dignified under a lot of pressure and that needs to be remembered but it was time for him to go there there, I felt that there was a big disconnect there and not in not in not a disconnect in a in a kind of you know where where the the fans have completely turned against him it was just a disconnect because I think everyone it was the inevitable where everyone kind of thought it including Nuno and it was that it all came to a head and that game was the catalyst where everyone just collectively looked at each other including Nuno and the club and the fans and just went was that when Paratici stormed off the bench at half time with his phone phone to his ear yeah, and I think we Tell all just Antonio. Were yeah. <laughs> pick up, pick up. Where for that? Where for art thou, Antonio? <laughs> Antonio. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, we were just. I think we were all like, yeah, this is this is kind of what we feared was going to happen, and now it's happened, and this is what everyone thought, and it's all just become. It's all come to a head, yeah. basically. And I remember now, I wasn't at that game. It was just sad. It was sad because he wasn't. He wasn't. He's not a bad guy, you know. That was the um, iconic substitution, wasn't it? Yeah, and um, yeah, yeah. Laura for Bergwin. Yeah, yeah. At the end of the season, it kind of feels a bit different now, doesn't it? It was quite. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I mean, I think. Um, I mean, with Nuno, he went through the full AVB experience, which I think took AVB a few years, didn't it? In a in a few months, mm. and yeah. by that last game. He looked like he wanted to be anywhere else other than that touchline. He yeah. looked like a broken man, didn't he? I mean, he really did look broken. It made me feel sorry for him. The only person I've seen looking more broken on that touchline this season was um, Legohead. Yeah, you know, more clueless, more 
distraught more wishing he was anywhere else than there was yeah lego head but mm. it, it was sad to see that with um with nuno in in terms of kind of uh paratici running out with his phone to his ear i think the rumors were that he'd been talking to conte since after the arsenal game um and that it was on the cards it's just yeah there was no way back after that was there there was no way back and it would be bad manners for me not to sing nini na 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 no 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 that's one for all you Scar fans out there. <laughs> <laughs> Daniel pulled the trigger, doubtless under pressure from Paratici, the man you know to whom he had given uh, the keys to the footballing kingdom. So in fairness, someone somewhere said, Oi, this isn't working, mate. You've got to do what you've got to do. And it's been done, right? Can I just ask you a question, Steph? I mean, I, it, it's becoming clear to me that you're someone who falls in, very, falls in love very quickly on the rebound. And... <laughs> <laughs> With Antonio, been married twenty five years, but I get your point. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to make that clear. I don't want to make that clear. But I'm a very with football managers at least. But with yeah, Antonio, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. How long was it before yeah. you wanted to sniff behind his ear? Uh, about seven days, if, maybe less. Maybe less. Honestly, maybe less. I mean, I mean, what we've got here in what we've got here in our notes is, you know, when did it all start to go right? And for me, the ear sniffing, uh, the lust for ear sniffing, uh, happened uh, literally within days of it being announced. It was somewhat unbelievable. That for me when it started to go right, chaps? For me, it was after Conte came in, it was the Liverpool game at home because I think in that first mm. half, I think we, we created more chances than we'd done the whole season up to that point. <laughs> and um, and we were, we were, you know, it was kind of like a little snapshot of what our team could be like under Conte, you know, with, with sort of more time and everything like that. But it just everything kind of, you know, it was a shame we didn't win that game, but... Um, but yeah, it was like, I was like, whoa. And I remember watching it and um, and going into the chat and saying like, I, I feel like we've got our Tottenham back, you know, like just, just from, you know, kind of pre the Champions League final and, and you know, those those sort of seasons before that where we were just playing scintillating football. I was already running around in circles, dreaming of odours behind the ears. And yeah. just, I was already, I was already sold, but I, you're absolutely yeah, right. Yeah. The game, that yeah. game was brilliant. It's yes. fantastic, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. The same moment for everyone? Are you, are you all in agreement with that? No, I'm not really. No. <laughs> you weren't sold? No, not at that moment. I just think that um, when he first came, I think we all said he had a bit of a soft run of games when he first came in, mm. which really yeah. helped. He had a good run of fixtures. And certainly a lot happened after those run of fixtures where we were maybe one step forward in, two step back. Mm -hmm. And then we had the whole Chelsea run, didn't we, where it was all yeah, January, oh, yeah. fuck, you know. And, and I, I, I yeah, I chose to see. I always thought he was using them as a benchmark to show yeah. the squad. Look what you've got to step up to, mm. you muppets. I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. I, I would agree with Ram that, that that Liverpool game was the first really, really solid kind of Conte performance. Mm. But what's interesting looking back at it now was the players he had in that side, and you know how many mm. of them have been cast aside. And yeah. I, I think it was you know remarkable what he got out of a load of players that he clearly didn't believe in. Mm. But in terms of kind of what we've become under Conte, I think you, you can't really look before February. I mean, I think... Um... I think to show the real traits of a Conte team, because I suppose he was still... I mean, he had that filtering process to do, didn't yeah. he? I mean, at the start of yeah, November, yeah. he came, he didn't have pre-season to filter people. So he had, he had the run-up to the January window to think, yeah, you're going to be going, you're going to be going. You're just not up to it. 
I mean, it certainly started, I'm not sure when, though, after that, because we still then would have a few blips in that. Decky didn't make his debut until the 9th of February. Mm-hmm. Three months. He's played three, you know, a little over three months for us. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah and I, so wow. I think it's important to look at that moment when he came in, when soft runner games, regardless or whatever, as you quite yeah. rightly said, Ricky, he did have to evaluate the squad um, in a preseason fashion during a season. And regardless of what anyone says, he would have come in and someone would have been saying to him, hey, we kind of need Champions League around here for, mm. for various reasons i know that he soft shoot it all the way th- to the very end there but he would have been given demands and he would have had demands mm. so let's talk about the impact he had in coming in i mean we all noticed it am i right i mean i'm not dreaming that i mean this man came in completely and utterly Im- Im- yeah, implemented a set of demands on the club not just for that moment but to kind of forewarn this is what's coming going forward and it was i thought sensational his record speaks for itself doesn't it and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the, the players are clearly going to be impressed with that. And if you look at, you know, everything we know about Kane and, you know, the senior players in the squad, of course, they're, they're impressed by a manager with that kind of track record, you know, and he's, he's come back in off winning, you know, Serie A last season. Yeah. So of course they're impressed with that. And I think, you know, if you compare him to he who shan't be named, he is, you know, now what Mourinho was 10 years ago, I think, in terms of stature. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, he is one of the, you know, top what, five managers in the world. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's a very fair shout. Yeah. Bringing him in is just a real, real coup. A it real is, coup. I mean, it if, is. If, if, you, if you list where we are in the hierarchy of European clubs and list where he is, we are well punching above our weight to have him as our manager. We're so yeah. lucky to have him because he... <laughs> doesn't he know it? <laughs> yeah, doesn't he know this? And that, there is a yeah. slight, and that is a slight worry of me. He always does give a little bit of air of, I'm not quite sure if his heart's in it or whether he thinks he's too good for us. But that might be a slow burn with him. He might fall in love with us a bit more. We've got... Because I think this is what other people have said, Sam, whether he might go. And people would say, look at our ground, look at our training facilities, look at the budget he's been given, look at the pl- some of the players he's got to work with. Um, I mean, that trumps a lot of teams. You might, I might, we, we might not be as big as Bayern Munich, Juventus and all right. those other things. But I'm with Milo on this. I'm, I'm, I suspect I'm with Milo on this. I don't think he's ever going to love us to the core of the badge. I don't think no. that's ever going to happen. I'm not looking a for a potch like not potch like buying. I think he likes us a lot and I think he's have I think he's having a great time, but I think equally as a careerist, which I think we'd all agree he is, he also spots an opportunity to be the proverbial statue outside the ground and he knows that everything is set for that to happen as long as he pushes the demands he needs. But I think the other thing with Conte is that you know he's so precise in what he wants that he's not a good fit for most clubs or a lot of clubs. So, you know, in terms of that, you know, in terms of that, where he is in the kind of stature of kind of, you know, football managers and where we are as a club or what have you, Mm. you know, the, the links like PSG being interested in him this summer, it's just crazy because he's not going to get the level of control at PSG that he'd he'd demand. And their dream is to win the Champions League and he doesn't, he can't do midweek games, you know, so it's, (laughs) it's, it's great, you know, so there's a lot of jobs out there that probably are more matching to a, a, a manager of his status than us. But they're not a good fit in other ways, and I think no, I right agree. now there isn't a better a better option out there for him. Mm. It's the classic sitcom scenario, isn't it? Awkward couple, you know, stuck in a situation. And are you talk? Are you saying that this is the peep show of a uh, football? Of football? <laughs> is that what you're suggesting son? here? Yeah. <laughs> Who's Stepto? Jamie Vardy, isn't it? 
<laughs> absolutely absolutely i think i just a final thing i think we also have to credit that we did actually see the wrongs with nuno and we pulled the trigger and we managed yeah. to make the phone calls because conte has made no it's not made light you know he's, he's, he's time and time said again that he doesn't like not doing pre-season I agree, so I to agree. roll him into town in november is is great work as well really this gives the silver tongue swiss tony uh his due and and also daniel for pulling for pulling the plug um and mm. and you know again we had another moment where we saw action that usually hasn't happened or traditionally hasn't happened very positively for us in a season and that was the month of january i mean do we do we think this was the most pivotal january in the club's history I think looking at it in hindsight, I think it, I, it's certainly up there because when those signings came in, Decky and uh, and Bentenker, I thought they were pretty unremarkable. But then their immediate impact on the team and the influence in the second half of the season has been, it's like something out of like when you play championship manager or FIFA on cheat mode, you know, it's like you get these two players in that you, well, then you just whack up all their attributes and then they come and they make an instant impact. And that is literally what these, these guys have done. You know, they've turned out to be spectacular hits in a, uh, as January signings, which generally don't always go to plan. Um, and I really don't believe we would have made top four without them. Um, you know, when you look at what Decky's return is in uh, in uh, since he's been here, I think it's higher than anything uh, Mora or Bergwijn would have managed, um, and I think that was that was the difference maker. I'd been watching Decky for a while. Simon and I have been talking about him since December, so I'd been paying particular attention to him. I'd, I'd been mm. aware of him before then, but I'd been paying particular attention to him since then. So I was kind of aware of what he could bring and um, you know, kind of the options. I I, I was surprised by. Uh, how much of an immediate impact he had. Um, I thought that he'd be a useful addition and could you know, fulfill a number of roles and, you know, but with a longer term mm-hmm. you know, development, but he's, he's been a lot more um, complete and his you know, impact uh, a lot more immediate than I'd expected. In terms of kind of where does this rank amongst our January windows? Um, the only one I could compare it to, I mean, certainly under Enoch would be Redknapp's first window when he brought in Palacios mm. and, um, and others then. And, you know, he, again, he identified the immediate weaknesses in the team and, and rectified them. And, I think, I mean, certainly January, I think, you know, and if you're a manager who's come in part of the way through the season, the January window isn't about signing the best players in the world. It's signing the best players available for the weakness, you know, the weaknesses in your side. And that's certainly what we did in January. And uh, we are you know, considerably better than we were going into that window. And although we let more players out than came in, the squad yeah. was a lot more suited to the manager. It does. It does sort of edge the Sahar Nielsen um, uh, window that Harry enjoyed. I'll see, but not by much, but just a bit. Sorry, Ricky, I interrupted you. Yeah, I mean, I confess, I thought going back to Juve was a little bit kind of unimaginative, thinking there was only one shop in um, transfer town there. But, um, but you know, I've been completely blown away with that. You know, getting that completely wrong. And uh, Paratic obviously knew his stuff. Agree, one hundred percent with Ram. It's definitely got us top four and I suppose you can contract without wanting to sort of poo-poo the players that would have played instead but it would have been probably Winks and Morrill that would have played in those places otherwise and um, yeah I mean hopefully this is a sign of things to come I think Milo touched on it as well Um, we can't we can't um, sort of uh, overemphasise the players that left 
because you know that the players that left ended up well I was I was worried by the amount of sheer amount of players we'd let go and then you know we'd let go of like Delhi and and, uh, and Melee and a few others and I was just thinking well we haven't got the squad depth for this though either you know and and actually I think it bought our squad became a little mm. more harmonious not that they were troublemakers but they, they it just it felt like we were more of a of a tight knit squad um yeah. with the with those two coming in and the rest coming out going out I think also kind of told us how ruthless Paratici is you know say like Brian Hill who came in Mm. in the summer and he's loaning him out in January because the manager doesn't want him or doesn't fit the manager and you know we saw that in the summer with um, say Aurier uh, having his you know contract cancelled in order so he could leave he's pretty ruthless when he needs to be all the while I think one of the underlying stories of this season is the sheer fearless amount of work that Fabio Paratici was doing since the summer um, and the amount of flexibility is probably the right phrase that that man has in terms of being able to switch uh, switch lanes or whatever directions whatever i mean it's actually if you were to be a little deeper about it it could almost be worrying because it's like he can you know he could make you believe anything he wants right mm. but i think you're absolutely right uh milo that the work he's done there uh is, is really important and it's really important that you're able to do that and be that cold um, yeah. and calculating and not have an ego about it because that was his uh, one of his players and as and as you said Ricky you know being able to you know convince the chairman to get the manager in that you need especially uh, with that ticket this is great work I mean you know before got- he came in one of the criticisms criticisms of him was that he wasn't so good at getting players out and actually we have seen players leave and you know that's gonna be the big challenge for this summer isn't it is getting rid of the players that we don't want anymore yeah i mean i look i don't know long term if i like him but you can't deny the work he's doing so i mean the other point i'd say is i think shrinking down the squad it wouldn't surprise me if within the discussions with paratici and conte conte was pretty much sold on let's head towards one game a week as quickly as possible mm. i don't think he cared about the, <laughs> the conference league they just paid that yeah. lip service said oh no we're gonna do it. and that just faded into the background it was out of that we didn't really care i, I just that think was another that pivotal sh- moment of the season actually i think shrinking that squad huge. down and getting to that one game mm. a week was massive for conte he needed that time there was a I think it was a Dan Kilpatrick piece in the uh, standard. I'm, I'm going to, this kind of covers actually one of the other <laughs> questions you've got down on the, on the script, Steph. But, um, in that he taught, evidently Conte was absolutely furious with the whole situation around the conference league. But I, I think you're right. It absolutely played out for us that, uh, having one game a week and, you know, not having that preseason, giving him more time to work with the players, you could definitely see the difference, you know, compared to us. Again, this is, this is a point I've made a, a few weeks ago about, you know, if you look at those Chelsea games in, in January, I see as a benchmark and then you see us against that kind of liver, you know, Man City, Liverpool, Arsenal late in the season. It, it's just a completely different side, isn't it? In terms of, mm-hmm. uh, you know, how we're playing and, you know, uh, how we're following his instructions and everything like, uh, everything like that. Let's just, Focus on 2022, and I'm going to spin you round, right round, baby, right round, round with this next couple of questions, which are, you know, when our Champions League campaign was dead for you, and when was it alive? I think for me, after the, it's been such a topsy turvy season with with this, but if I can think think back to it now, the when I thought it was dead in the water uh, was after the back to back. Southampton and Wolves home losses I thought no team challenging for top four uh, that's good you know seriously challenging for a Champions League place could have got away with results like that in the second half of a season um, but you know we, we touched on it earlier I didn't count on everyone else around us either being shit or distracted or both 
Um, so that that for me was when I thought, okay, well, we'll have to build for next season, and m- perhaps Conte will be around for that, and you know, let's see how it goes in the summer. But then I felt the week that changed our season um, back back. To, you know, for me, that change of narrative back was uh, from the Liverpool game. You know, in that in that final run in, I was like. We are we're we're actually really close to this, and we could do this. And I I still was more pes- I'm I'm normally quite an optimistic fan, but I was still pessimistic about our chances of finishing fourth. And uh, you know, but I think that but that was after that Liverpool game and we drew. I, I I can't over again. I can't overemphasize how important that draw was because in in the actual in in terms of our final points tally, it meant nothing. We we still would have finished four if we'd lost up there. But the magnitude of momentum we got. From 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 that performance and that draw, taking us into the Arsenal and Burnley games was in that week was uh, was immeasurable. Mm. Yeah, I agree with Ram. I think that 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 moment at the Southampton Wolves game really did put because they were both home games as well, and it just yeah. felt so bleak coming out there because it looked like we put ourselves in a position and then we just failed to grasp it again. And mm. but luckily we were we were flip flopping with Arsenal in that situation. They then. They had a massive chance and then they had that Monday night game at Palace and they lost three in a row yeah. there that put us straight back in it. And um, and it was just flip-flopping from one to the other and it was, it yeah. was such an agonising kind of thing because no one was kind of grasping it. And then the kind of London bend-over alliance helped them with the old West Ham and their <laughs> Chelsea games. You know, that certainly won't help in us. Bend and over a lion. <laughs> well, I think it's just it's oh, so typical. They beat United, West Ham, and Chelsea, and yeah. you'd think, oh, they're their hard games, and they just yeah. got nine points out of them. So it was touch and go all the way. But I think towards the end there, I mean, when we beat City away, and then we had the blip at Burnley, but we were, I mean, if you look at the results, we I think I was looking there. I think we in the last eleven games we had seven clean sheets. I think. Mm. Which yeah. is just, which just goes to show because that's one thing that has massively improved is their defence. I was, I was reasonably confident throughout. I mean, so you know, kind of accepted the points that the odds were against us, but also thought that Arsenal had tricky games to come and that they're flaky. So, so maybe confidence is the wrong word, but certainly hope was always there. Mm. Obviously, you could see that you know post those games you kind of mentioned, and say Brighton, you probably chuck into the mix there as well. We were an improving team. Yeah, I I, I think all the time it was mathematically possible. Um, I, I I thought that Arsenal would drop points, and that if we took our chances, that 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 it was there, and that's kind of how it turned out, isn't it? Really? Yeah. The closest I got to not believing was Brighton. That was the moment that I thought, oh, you know, you can't keep on fucking up. Um, but I'd always said, and I've been very consistent in this, that I felt that top four, I said this you know, from the beginning of 2022, that top four was going to come down to who the best manager was at the chasing pack. And we had the best manager. And so I, I really relied heavily on, on that knowledge and also the knowledge that Arsenal just always looked like they could not sustain and the run that they had uh they had a run of games where they were like i think they beat man united and some other things and it was as you said ricky there was a little bit of the older you know on uh, sort of like let's help you out alliance going on there but then the man united game i mean that was just a conflation of 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 forces of luck and and that just it just seemed unsustainable to me and it was very exciting to see arsenal get so excited about you know that run of results and those results because they weren't real i didn't think they were particularly impressive against uh, chelsea or manchester united so although they got the result i don't think they were particularly good performances absolutely not and i agree with that yes so when i was watching those when i was watching those games i I know you feel the same um when i was watching those games i'm thinking oh i'm pretty confident about beating them yeah 
I, I, absolutely. And so, you know, it's always come down to match. So I can say that Brighton was probably the one that, that I thought maybe I wavered, but I never, I never fully didn't believe we weren't going to finish fourth. I really didn't, you know. So I mean, I think it's, I think it's just when that Brighton result came because mm. those other two games we talked about, we lost at home. We then thought, oh my God, this is terrible. And then we beat City away in an absolute humdinger yeah. of a game. And we went on a tear then when we beat Newcastle, mm. uh, beat Everton and, Brighton and yeah. West Ham and, and it's just all of a sudden that Brighton and that Brentford draw came out of the blue somewhere because we thought we'd, we'd smash Villa as well away mm. and yeah. Um, yeah I mean it was just it was such a shock that we might have taken a step backwards look we've we've let's not talk about the last few weeks because we've really enjoyed them uh probably not enough but we have enjoyed them uh, on recent pods but let's just bring things to a close I've got two questions for you I'm going to ask them together and I'm going to look for short, quick-fire answers. Where does our run in this season fit in amongst your favourite Spurs moments? And has Antonio finally given us full closure over Poch? I'd say the Arsenal game is the best, one of the best North London derbies I've ever experienced live, if not the best. Um, so I think that moment and everything it signified is up there for sure. Um, I was a bundle of nerves for the run-in, so I'm not sure I'm going to put it as <laughs> one of my favourite moments. <laughs> Um, but um, it's not something I might want to experience again, but it made it all the more sweeter that it was our our, our biggest rivals that we uh, beat the top four. In terms of can we move on? Yeah, I think for the first time uh, for a while, we can truly look forward to the future um, of our club on the pitch since um, Poch left. There's a slight tinge of sadness that we... uh, that maybe Poch wasn't backed in the same manner, manner, uh, Conte has, but, you know, what might have been and all that, but it's not something to dwell on. Yeah, I mean, I'd say in terms of a run-in, it's every bit as good as Redknapp's when he got Champions League, isn't it? Ending with the kind of crouch fest. So it's in terms of the the, the challenge and and what we achieved there, it, it's com- it's comparable with that. In terms of the kind of feel good factor and my confidence in the squad going forwards, which I never had with Redknapp because I never thought Redknapp was kind of building something. It was always kind of about the moment. Yeah, I do think this is kind of comparable to the high points under Poch. Um, and I think that Conte is a better manager than Poch, um, a different manager than Poch, but a, a better manager than Poch. And I think the ceiling with him is higher. And in terms of kind of uh, closure on Poch, that I've kind of answered it there. If Poch was out of work this summer, I wouldn't want him back. Um, because I don't think it would be, I don't think it would improve our chances. Um, and yeah, maybe once Conte, you know, Conte leaves in a you know, year or two's time, then and if Poch is out of work, then then maybe that's the that's the right time. But you know, I would say at that point we should appoint the best manager who's available rather than the one that uh, gives me the warm, uh, you know, the warm fuzzy feelings. Um, so yeah, for me, yes, absolutely, it's it's given me closure on that. Well, I think the last was it three weeks, I'd say probably back to the Liverpool away game. I mean, the running, it's just been, I was going to say, I was going to say it's complete dynamite. It's just been absolutely brilliant. Um, but I think that's a bit too destructive, really. And I, I was thinking it's actually more like a beautiful sunset this last part of the season's been. It's been just warm and glowing and so unspurs-like and so comforting. Because yeah. as Ram said, we do have our anxieties, our Spurs fans, and we do have our confidence issues. And Spurs have remarkably just 
it's just been like a warm blanket around us on the, you know, looking yeah. at the sun shit, just cozy. Nothing to worry <laughs> about, guys, this time. Spurs have got this now. We're not the team we used to be. And every moment of it, it's just been, there's been no wrong steps. Every There's no missteps whatsoever. And everything has fallen into our place, whether it's um, winning all the games we need to, beating our absolutely hated rivals down the road to fourth place. Uh, even VR, VAR was behaving itself. That came along nicely. Um, Sonny gets golden boots to wear next season. <laughs> um, just everything. And then all the money comes this week and <laughs> everything. And I think oh, we've talked about it before, but this really does feel like we can go places from this point. And we've got momentum behind us. And it could be, like we said before, one of those sliding door moments where we really do just ratchet it up a bit and climb the ladder. Yeah, I mean, for me, uh, for a variety of reasons I won't get into here, this has absolutely been um, my favourite uh, end of season run in. Uh, and I'm talking, uh, I mean, I'm 55 now. I, I consider you a fully conscious, engaged supporter from the age of 10. I think anything before that you're enjoying as a kid. So that's counting 45 years of, of, of hard support. And so for a variety of reasons, uh, the emotional sustenance and joy I got from the season as it progressed and that last three weeks of, uh, of explosive joy. I mean, it really, I, I, I can't overstate enough Um it has really uh, shaken my 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 life and my mood up in an enormous enormously positive way. Um, and for those who don't understand that comment, well, I, I I pity you because sometimes football can do that, and hopefully all of you know that. And so for me, yes, the best, just absolutely brilliant. I mean, amazing. Um, still buzzing off it. I could still spend another hour talking about that. That those few days between beating Arsenal and them losing at Newcastle. Just, I mean, I could still, I could go on and on and on. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that, I have to say that uh, you know, by default, almost uh, Antonio Conte has given me full closure over Maurizio Pochettino, which uh, is a sentence I never thought I'd, I'd say um, in secret, let alone uh, on a, on, a, on, a po- on our podcast and in public. I will always always um and i mean this very seriously i always deeply love Maurizio pochettino for what he did for our club um and for the continual effect and, and standards i think he set for us to achieve uh but i also equally appreciate and and love uh what antonio conti is doing with regards to ensuring that this club uh is as mighty as it needs to be so full closure yes indeed um uh, over it but that does not mean he will i mean he's never going to be forgotten of course but this is Antonio's era, and I'm really so excited about it. As you said, Ricky, it seems that the news can, continues to just be outstanding. So so there we have it. That's our season review. Um, I hope you've enjoyed that. It's only going to get better, listeners, because now... The Glory Glens! That was like the bugle that Peter Sellers plays at the beginning of the party. If you've never seen that film, you need to see it. It's an absolute classic, possibly Peter Sellers' best. Uh, It is our awards show. We are not all dressed in our tuxedos. Um, uh, Some of us are. and For some reason, Milo's showed up dressed as a giant swan and has just laid an egg on the red carpet. Topical humour there. (laughs) (laughs) Moving up. I'm going to duck it. (laughs) Okay. All right. Enough foul jokes. Um, Best new signing. Okay. Going to read the four players. The nominees are. You're going to give us an opinion. And we're going to come to uh, a conclusion. Christian Romero, Dejan Kulisewski, Rodrigo Bentancourt, or Emerson Royale? Romero. He's a monster. 
Who's our third best player? Kulisevsky. Oh, sorry. No, no, no. I was going to say, no, no, no. He's the only other contender for me. But but, yeah. but Romero is off the scale. I can I can go with that. I think my choice was uh, Kulisevsky based purely on um, output, like return up, you know, up front. But I think we, with under Conte in this team, we, we've really built from the back, haven't we, in terms of like, we already knew what we had up front and we've built there. So I, I'm, I'm happy to go with Romero. But you were going to go with Kulisevsky, right? I was, but I can so be swayed changed? if... It, don't, don't, don't uh, be what swayed by like him, for yeah. God's sake. Stand up for yourself. My, the, Good God, well, man. You're, no, don't be, but, you're you such know. a nice man. Don't be that nice. Stand up for yourself. <laughs> gimme, gimme, gimme a ginger from Sweden. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. All right, fine. I'm going for Royale. <laughs> <laughs> In fact, he's my answer for every single one of the awards. So I'll just sit back now. <laughs> All right, but seriously, so you're 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 another vote for Romero long term? Is that what we're hearing? Yeah, I th- I think I was I was toying in between Kulisevsky and Romero, um, but I think actually thinking about it, like Romero has been a big catalyst in terms of what what the solidity we've got at the back, which I think has been just as important as, mm. or maybe more important than what we had up front. Um, I'm a Romero man as well. I think he's uh, I've always said he's a lot of fun to watch. So when you go along and watch, you can't see a player like that in the flesh and his sheer aggressiveness. I think that's the kind of thing we've needed. And I think um, I'm not saying he like leads the way with that, but I think it's always great to have someone in your team that is like that because they're always on it and always full throttle. Um, uh, honorable mention to Bentacore though, because he's another player that when you actually watch him in the flesh, mm-hmm. if you're at the game. You really yeah. appreciate it. So good. Yeah. 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 Look, Christian Romero has been fantastic. Um, he's, uh, I think he's a generational defender, if you will. He's, you know, once in a generation and I'm, I'm delighted to have him. In terms of our season and the impact that was necessary, I think uh, Dejan Kulisevsky, uh I think his impact was, mm-hmm. was so important for us at that time. So I'm going to go Kulisevsky based on impact. However, I, I, I'm freely uh, acquiesced to the fact that Christian Romero is is deserving of, of the award. So my personal vote is Kulisevsky, uh, but it looks like we voted Christian Romero as a group is yeah. the uh, is the best signing. So he gets our first glory, Glenn. Pretty good category here. Oh my word! Oh god, this this pits a couple of my favourites together. Actually, it's our most <laughs> improved. Player um, Benjamin Davis, uh, Matthew Doherty, uh, Davinson Sanchez, and uh, a gentleman by the name of Eric Dyer. The thing that occurred to me with this is that there's quite a few players here that when we did the squad review last summer, a few of us here, or at least two of us here, were quite willing to flog. <laughs> and at least two of those now, you were, you know, you'd say were mainstays of that running. We've kind of got a Lazarus Award later on, haven't we? Which I would say that kind of. Doherty kind of comes into so I think for me it would be between Davis and Dyer and I would go for Dyer he's been one of our best players this season he's been phenomenal and a lot of our fans had written him off last year I think that's fair I'm I think I'm going to get shot down for this for my choice but I think when you look at Davies Doherty and Dyer you kind of actually know what you're getting I think obviously Davies has, has been able to be a very successful component of this team Doherty I mean his fortunes changed around completely mm. to the point where we thought when he got injured we were like well is that our top four chances gone <laughs> um and Dyer you know I've, I've always thought Dyer in, in that in that 
back three is is really formidable for me and I'm going to do this more on kind of a moment than maybe across the whole season my pick would be Sanchez because in that final Mm -hmm. run in he we we were worried we were all worried about um him coming in um for Romero and actually he stepped up and he he, I felt under Conte he has Mm -hmm. improved as a player whereas with the other three Yes, they have you know they may have improved, but that you kind of you already knew what you were getting with with them. Whereas with Sanchez, I f- I feel like yeah, technically to the spirit of the actual uh, title of the award, I think that's bang on actually. But anyway, Ricky, I think my choice is my old dinner partner, partner Ben Davis. I think um, <laughs> I th- he's. Because he he's been moved to a position that he hasn't really played that many games at for starters. I think you can him and Dyer are very much a massively improved two separate components of that back three. And I just think Davis has been... And we've always said he's solid before, but he's non-remarkable. But I think he's he's pushing those levels up now. I mean, he was a consistent player where you'd think he'd get a seven. Yeah. But I think he's... Most weeks. But I think he can now push that seven and a half eights. And I think he's not someone that gives away much, but I think you do. His, his persona now is more confident, I think. Yeah. He feels like I belong here. And I mean, I think he always thinks yeah. he's belong, but I think he feels like he's a more important part of the team than he's ever I, done. I think the thing about Davis is that, I mean, obviously we need to strengthen. And obviously his position is one of the mm. positions we need to strengthen in. But I think it's really harsh on him that he won't be starting next year. Yeah. 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 I Look, I... It's, it, it is uh, actually, Ram, you really did draw a spotlight into the, the complexities of this question uh, because it is very easy to just, you know, I mean, it would be easy for me to say Eric Dyer, but when I actually think about it, I don't think Eric Dyer, I mean, I think Eric Dyer has improved in some ways, but I always think Eric Dyer has been an elite central defender mm-hmm. and has just needed to be given the correct um, uh, instructions and team around him and coach to operate. So, you know, you, you make a very good point about that as a Sanchez. I just counter that briefly on Dyer, though. He wasn't an automatic starter under. Mourinho so you know he was losing his place right. under Mourinho and I think mm. you know from there to being an absolute out of these four here he's the only one next season that you can imagine being a first choice starter yeah true. yeah I, yeah that's true I understand the argument I mean what I would counter with that is that I think that Mourinho is is, is a moron for not having <laughs> <don't> <laughs> no I mean unfortunately I'm trying hard not to and look I mean yeah. you know I'm trying to be respectful here but uh, again so but but I'm going to go with you, Ricky. I think that Benjamin Davis has been phenomenal. Yeah. And I think that Antonio has come in. Yeah, yeah. He's identified two players or maybe three players in the squad that he needs to lead. Eric's obviously been one of them. But I always felt he looked at Ben Davis and sort of saw him as maybe a bit like his Aspilicueta. And we talk yeah. about these final few weeks and just some of the things that yeah, he did, brilliant. some of the blocks he was putting in, he was fantastic, unimaginable to the player he's been uh, the last few years and just I mean I, I really I, I, I couldn't agree more with you Ricky I'm going I'm going Benjamin Davis and what he's been doing at the other end of the pitch and bringing the ball out of defence as yeah. well he, he has been super yeah kept the level that's the thing the consistency yeah. he's yes. just risen and kept that consistency which is really impressive especially if you go back to like previous like pre-season pods you'll yeah. think oh is Davis going to stay is he not and you're automatically yeah. thinking he's a left back and he's just None of that. He's like the left centre-back and just playing remarkably well. Yeah, I mean, for what it's worth, I'm still not entirely convinced he won't start the season. I think it'll be his shirt to lose and I just think he's going to get some fantastic competition right now and I think that's very important. Uh, if we bring in Bastoni, yeah. I don't think it'll be too long before um, before yeah. he's starting. I mean, I don't know. 
There's a lot of games to play, and we're in two two big competi- We're in two big competitions, so we'll yeah. deal with that when we come with it. But he certainly yeah. gets. Uh, it looks like he has won uh, the second Glory Glen of the 2021-22 season as most improved player, which brings us to the young player of the year: Oliver Skip, Ryan Sessignon, Dejan Kulusevski, or Jaffet Tanganga. Chaps, fire away! I've given this to um, Kulusevski even though he's only been been in for half a season. I think I want to give an honourable mention for Skip because I think if he'd stayed fit, I really feel he would have really thrived um, or, you know, really taken on uh, Conte's methods. And, you know, he showed he was, you know, he was going to anyway. And, and so I think it's such a shame for his injury. Um I, I, and also, you know, um, Sessignon is obviously, he's played a big part in that run in as well. So, you know, props to him. Uh, Jaffa, I think, I mean, I, I don't think he was, you know, after the, the, the initial sort of few games, he didn't really, he wasn't really featured that much. But, um, but yeah, I mean, the, the, the complete, it was the, the way Kulisevsky came in and just hit the ground running. I've not, I've, I've very rarely seen, you know, like a, a, a signing in the, whether it's in the summer or, or in January, you come in and, and, and do what he did. So, uh, yeah, it's got to be, um, Kulisevsky for me. Yeah, me as well. Kulu, I think. He could have got the best sign. He definitely was up there for the best signing, but I think if he can get the awards or something, I'll definitely give him this because of the reasons Ram said really to hit the ground running. And like we said in the main chat about him being a big part along with Bentacar for the whole reason he got top four, he deserves recognition for that. Yeah, completely agree. He's been an absolute revelation. I think again, agree with Ram. I think if Skip had stayed fit for the season, it possibly would be him. But uh, in terms of impact, you can't argue with what Decky's brought in. You know, just three months, just superb. Yep, it's a clean sweep. I'm uh, going for him again. Uh, I've gone for him once before. I'm going again. Yeah, fantastic. And again, that impact, uh, phenomenal. So that was an easy glory, Glenn, actually. So uh, one for Dejan. Uh, the most underrated player. This is, uh, I think, uh, very interesting category. Uh, once again, we have Benjamin Davis and Davison Sanchez and Eric Dyer. Uh, and the, uh, the the outlier here is Pierre-Emile Hoybier. So I'm, go- I'm going to go first here, if you don't mind. I'd like to set the pace for once in these. I'm going to go for Pierre-Emile Hoybier because, and, and I too have criticised him from time to time and, and wondered if he's upgradable and replaceable. But, you know, <laughs> there he is in the 90th minute of some of the biggest games that uh, that we've played in in recent years uh still giving you know 100 and the, the proverbial 120% um the sheer amount of football this man has played is phenomenal mm. uh commensurate it to the output uh in terms of energy it's unbelievable um and we definitely underrate him and well we I'll speak for myself I sorely underrate him Antonio doesn't so he he's yeah I think he's the most underrated player but by but actually by some distance he, yeah he was my choice as well I think um for, for exactly those reasons um and again he's another one that really stepped up towards the end you know when it came to crunch time as well and um and we can't under um underestimate how much football he's played and he was you know there was a point where he was kind of uh I think it's it's not that he would just look tired um at some point you know he looked like he was exhausted but um but he just he, he kind of bounced back he's really kind of come back strong in the second half of the season and and um and yeah mainstay mainstay in that midfield you know so uh so props to him he's, uh he'd be my choice yeah I agree it's, it's it's him for me as well I think um I think all these players get various levels of shit on social media and abuse but I think he certainly does and I think some people do like him but there's a lot of people that don't and I'm not quite sure why 
because of the points Ram made there when it comes to commitment, 100%, uh, the kind of play you need on the field. And also, I thought he might start flagging towards the end of the season. It was probably the opposite. So um, <laughs> It was ridiculous, I mean, wasn't it? His it energy was. levels were insane. <laughs> mm. yeah. And he I actually makes, he makes quite a sweet partnership with Bentacore, I think. Mm. I think yeah. they quite complement mm. each other quite well. They've both got plenty of work in them. I mean, you think... Uh, Bentacore might be a bit of a kind of touch player, but he puts the shift in as well. And I don't know whether they motivate each other. They seem to have an understanding at least. And maybe mm. that's, we don't know this, but maybe that's helped um, uh, Bentacore as well at Hoiberg. You know, you can, you can, you can fit in with him quite easy. Maybe he makes mm. life easy for you, but um, maybe it's the cleverness of him. But um, yeah, definitely a man you've got to have around and stop underrating him. Not you, the others. <laughs> uh, and I must at this point break before Milo comes in with his vote. I must, you know, break precedent to say once again, you have to give Jose Mourinho his credit there. That was a player he identified very early that he wanted and it was a Jose signing. Mm. So um, uh, thank you for that, Jose. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I, th- I think everyone thinks he's a bit of a water carrier, don't they? And I think there's more to him than that. And certainly in the second half of the season, I think we've seen a bit of um, his Denmark form for Spurs, where he's been playing further forward and, and getting him more, more involved uh, further mm. up the pitch. And I think, you know, post kind of January, so, you know, so I suppose since Bentaker came in, into the side, he's been one of our best players. I, I thought when Bentaker signed that it would be Hoybier and uh, Bentaker that would be the partnership. Obviously, that was before Skip was injured. But I think even if Skip was fit, I think that would have been first choice. They complement each other well. Um, they're just a good, a good partnership, a good pairing. Um, I'm certain that he will start next season as first choice in central midfield. Um, and him and Bentaker gives us the luxury of bringing other players and being able to ease them into the side. Um, I think he's. I think he's massively underrated, not just by our fans, but by um, most football fans. He's a, he's a top player. So Pierre-Emile Hoybier gets our, uh, our our latest glory, Glenn, there as the most underrated player. Not underrated anymore, my friend. Cult hero. It's always a fun one. Uh, Christian Romero, Emerson Royale, Matthew Doherty, and Dejan Kulisevsky. Well, I mean, let's face it, they could all, well, three of those uh, could 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 share it in the way that Sonny shares uh, the golden boot with that bloke who scored a bunch of penalties. Um, so, I, I, again, someone else set the pace. I set the pace the last time. Oh, nobody wants to go for it. I'm going to go for it. Bollocks. Uh, <laughs> I'll set you off. It was a really, it's really tough is for me. Um, you know, Doherty is an obvious choice in many regards, uh, you know, because of his... Um, the way he just managed to reactivate his career from nowhere. Emerson Royale is certainly on the path to full cult herodom. And I have to say, in recent weeks, his performance off the pitch has been as good as it has been on the pitch. And that's a huge positive. I mean that in a double positive sense. But I am going to give cult hero to Christian Romero because the man says little, does an awful lot, and also seems to pick the very best moments from the highlight clips to focus his social media on. Um, He's sort of like the Terminator, isn't he? I mean, he comes across like that to me. So he's mine. I I love Romero. I think for me, it's between Romero and Royale, but Royale's strong social media game just edges him for me. And the, the kind of weekly highlights clip from Royale is one of the highlights of my football week. I love it. I want it back next season. And um, for, so for me, it's Emerson Royale. Interesting because yeah. Yeah, it's tight because it was quite late, the, his whole social media loving. No, no, I think it's, been, it's, been, it's been going for a while. It's just that he, he wasn't getting in the team for a while because 
son. Yeah. Someone, someone's <laughs> taken his place from him. <laughs> it's, this was a tough one to, to pick, but I've also gone for Emerson Royale as well because, you know, I think, I think Doherty and Romero especially have really strong cases, but Royale was, you know, in terms of cult hero as well, like he was at the start of the season, we had sort of hopes for him and then his stock fell really low. And then I thought the crowd, you know, the crowd at the games were turning on him as well. And disgraceful, he was just by complete, the way. Disgraceful, yeah, yeah absolutely disgraceful, completely uncalled for and disgraceful. But he just, I don't even know whether he was completely oblivious to it or he just didn't care, but he just, he just basically like a phoenix rising from the ashes just came out the other side and that photo i'll go back again that that photo of him holding up the mm. flare is one of it's possibly well, going to be one of renowned very as one compelling. of the most iconic that's images a of a player. That's, point. that's cult moment of the season so he gets it for that alone. Yeah. yeah 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 i mean that's that's a compelling compelling argument casting vote ricky Oh, it's not going to be easy. Um, no no pressure. Because Royale is... And the thing is, with his rise back, he's just been so kind of engaged with everything and so smiley with it. And he could have yeah. easily... As you say, maybe he was oblivious to it and that was a result that it didn't like knock his confidence well, no, or any he, kind of he relationship. Wasn't, he wasn't, no, he you wasn't know the, oblivious. You know the fluked goal he got? Brighton. Who was that against? Oh, Brighton in the he, oh. Yeah. So when he ran past um, the bench... It, yeah. it, 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 he was running past the fans who were giving him grief, so he definitely hasn't been immune yeah, to it. Yeah, he smashed it in in the Paxton. It looked like it, and if you remember, yeah, yeah, yeah. smashing in the Paxton. Then he went yeah. herring around towards the bench, yeah, yeah. Bench, and he was giving it to someone big time. Yeah, because I mean, yeah. that pocket of fans have been giving him grief. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So he yeah. definitely was aware of it. Oh. And did um, you see him with the golden boot? Yeah, yeah. You can't, you can't not love that. No. <laughs> I mean, a lot of this is great signs that he's like, like Conte's saying, when you know a squad's together and everyone's integrating with each other, yes. you know, it's like everyone's starting to build well, relationships. He may very well he may very well feature in the future as a player we profile. I think he'd be a fascinating study, actually, to be yeah. fair, especially as much for what people haven't known about his position in his career as to what he's done with his Spurs career in recent times. But the vote. But my choice is actually going to be, I think, the same as you, Steph. It's the old Romero, because I think we talked about one earlier, but he is the original <sighs> nutter. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> wicked, a wicked. <laughs> Jungle is massive. Excellent. Very good. I, uh, love I can't the way quite, he... quite get as high as General no, Levy no. there. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I like it. I like it. The original nutter. He yeah, is. Yeah. You can see he's a bit cold and calculated. I just like the way he goes after people. And <laughs> and some people have just, just got to be warned that they don't know what's coming, basically. <laughs> yeah. But he just hunts yeah. them down and he's just so, I don't know, he's, he's great. But he's not really... He had that one moment, didn't he, when he was a bit mouthy towards... Who was it in that game? Harry Maguire on the floor after that the was goal. Funny. Yeah, oh, yeah. That was, that was funny, but it was kind of almost out of character for him because he seems quite quiet quite often. He likes to just assassinate people and keep you know keep yeah. stood basically. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, he's my choice. So is that my, is that two all? It's a split. I think it's uh, the cult hero split yeah. between two players who are fully deserving of deciding it. vote. I think I think you said that Ricky get the decide, got the deciding vote as he went last. So oh, okay, we're giving so, it to Romero, are we? You're giving it to Romero. You, can, you can't. It's not the golden boot, Steph. You can't share it. Really? Okay. Well, then we give it to Romero. But I think we uh, we he's we have to give special mention, mention to Emerson. Emerson yeah, Royal yeah. gets an honourable mention, and maybe it would have been different if it had started a little yeah. earlier in the season for him in that yeah. regard. But goal of the season. This is going to be interesting. Sun v Leicester. Mora v Norwich. 
Winks v Morecambe or Bergwijn's second goal v Leicester? Who wants to go first? If everyone's reluctant, I am happy to go first. I'm happy to go. Um, I th- I think aesthetically, I'm going to go for... Uh, I-, I would have gone for Lucas's goal. Um, I think aesthetically, it's the most pleasing on the eye. But just for the theatre, it's got to be uh, Bergwijn's uh, second goal against Leicester because it was just there was just so there's so there's such a there's so many other things around that goal that happened. You know, we we were dead and buried in that game, um, and then you know for him to come on and at, at the time he did and score two goals. But yeah, just just purely for theatre and 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 the love of the game. Um, that's my choice. Yeah, let me shuffle the order and come in off the back of that with my selection because it is exactly the same as yours. And let me explain why I think it is actually one of the technical goals of the season because he's just scored the equaliser having come on minutes mm. earlier. Yeah, so he's already done his job supposedly uh, at a time when you're not really even maybe warmed up as a sub. You know, the finish, the composure mm. to actually avoid mm. the defender who's rushing in. Soinaccio, I believe. Yeah. I mean, th- th- when you look at it, it's natural for him to put that ball just into the middle of the goal, where he has m- somehow managed to measure that into the far corner. Yeah. That is some composure. You talk about the touch and all of it. It's technically a brilliant finish, in my opinion, uh, without the context of the moment even. So I think it's unquestionably, for all the reasons you described and my added ones, I think it's un- unquestionably the goal of the season. Ricky? I'm going to go for Sun against Leicester, I think. Um, but I mean, is this on. because you had your pants down at the point? Yeah, I had my pants down, and, 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 he, and he, he was he was bang on target, honestly. <laughs> and I was Tell also us. I was also yeah. at Norwich the other week and had my, my ass out there as well. Well, okay, enough <laughs> of. I, I wasn't actually all right, but fair enough. I don't want you to go on and on about all the times you had your ass out in public. What well, I was actually, but I am interested. Seriously, there is a there is a, a great little adjunct story uh, with the Sun goal v Leicester. Yeah, yeah, no, the, the actual sentimental reasons. Yeah, it's the first game I took my daughter to, and it's always great to have a, such a special moment because uh, kids are a bit kind of wary when they go to these games. They're not quite sure how to take it all in, but I think anyone, anyone, even when you're nine years old, uh, recognises a moment of magic. And what well, did she? Did she? What did she say when she saw you swivel around with your pants at your ankles? Uh, that must have been quite a sight for you, her. I thought you were trying not to take it back to this. <laughs> I know you just. <laughs> I'm sorry. I have besmirched the moment. No, in, yeah. seriously, it's always a great moment when you bring your when you bring any of your children to to their first game, and what a what a great moment that must have been. It was. It was absolutely was. Yeah. Thanks for saying. And he's, as I said, I think at the time, he's a great role model. So, um, she, you know, if she loves people like him, then she's not mm. going to go too Unlike far you. Wrong. Yeah. Unlike you. <laughs> 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 Getting your ass out of football. Yeah. No, no. yeah it's very good. So I, I get, I, I seem yeah. to hang my ass out all the time in life. That's yeah. just my, the way I operate. Anyway, Milo, let's get this back uh, on, on track, shall we? So, yeah, and the Berg, Bergwin goal against Leicester. Yeah, we're taking it wide and uh, from the angle he's in, it's, you know, very, very difficult. We're also ignoring the cane pass through to him, which was, you know, because mm. it was from the halfway line, wasn't it, where he, where he broke. Yeah. It was uh, yeah. a fantastic run. Winks versus Morecambe. I loved the, <laughs> I meant that one comment from him afterwards. And it wasn't, it was a nice free kick. I'm going to go for Mora versus Norwich. It was a typical Mora goal in that it was very individual. And although he you know, played a one, two on the way in, uh, he only had his eyes on one thing, and it was an absolute screamer. Bergie, an award, as you probably leave us. But hey, thank you for that moment, because without it, we would not be looking forward to Champions League football next year. There's no doubt. Game of the season. Uh, you know, in all honesty, 
we had a fair few of them. I mean, we could have even put Liverpool at home down there in, in this list. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're, or know, Leicester away. Or Leicester away. I mean, you know, we've so we've not gone for those. We've gone for Man City at home and Man City away. Um, just in case anybody uh, didn't realise, uh, we took six points off the champions last season. Uh, Liverpool away and Arsenal at home. Um, well, <laughs> I'm going to sit back and fold my arms because if this game, if this isn't that like, despite the brilliant games that are listed there, if this isn't a slam dunk, well, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm not going to promise anything because Milo will just vote against it just to see me do it. So um, <laughs> <laughs> I'll be very surprised. Let me just say that. But anyway, fire away, chaps. Being the scum at home, 3-0, battering them, breaking them, destroying their season. Need I go on? Yes, you can, actually, if you wish. (laughs) (laughs) We've probably got another hour. (laughs) Lego head reaction, holding, getting sent off. Holding, holding. (laughs) Holding, holding. I think we managed 40 minutes on that, didn't we, on our own? We did. And that was was almost strict discipline there. We actually cut ourselves off, yeah. Yeah, I I mean, just everything about that game, the the performance, the, the... the, what was riding on it, um, the atmosphere in the ground, um, the before, the after, the bragging rights, you know, and and yeah, we we broke, we literally broke Arsenal, um, and Arteta, I think he just he, he I think he, he just in that moment he just lost the players, you know, and 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 the players themselves they didn't know what was going on. I don't know if we'll ever we'll ever have a moment where we'll batter Arsenal like that. You know, I, th- I think the sc- the scoreline. I don't really think reflected the game. I think we could have scored more. Hundred percent. I can't add any more to that, Ram. I think to do them at home and send them off with a tail between their legs and just not working out what's actually just gone on and mm. like you say, breaking them is absolutely fantastic. And it's so good to go to a game. And have all your worries completely dissolve really quickly, and just think this is just yeah. I would I would there's nowhere else I'd rather be right now, and I can lap this up right to the final whistle. Yeah. It's was, it was fantastic, Steph. Sixty minute derby, we shoved it right up there, Arsenal. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> Game of the season, slam dunk. I rewatched the um, NLD this weekend. My stepdad was down. Visiting us, he's a Spurs fan, and he he couldn't see it at the time. So I was hoping you were going to say he was an Arsenal fan. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> watch well, this. <laughs> um, well, you know, I, t- I took I took him to the Brighton game. Yeah, oh, um, he did. Yeah, yeah so yeah, um, so yeah, so he, he was down to stay. So we watched that, and we watched the Liverpool game. His son is a Liverpool fan, so he quite he quite enjoyed watching the Liverpool game. Mm. Um, so it was, it was quite nice to watch re- rewatch those, and uh, you know, without the pressure. I mean, basically, Arsenal are ponies, so I'm going to go for Man City away because they're a decent team and they're tough to beat. <laughs> and we did really, really well there against... Yeah. I mean, I think the Liverpool away game and the Man City away game, I think the Liverpool away game as well. You know, I, I was very confident going into the Arsenal game because we'd survived the Liverpool press for you know, and, and then come out mm-hmm. on top. And Arsenal try that but aren't as good. And as fun as it was... I'd like us to get to the stage where we start thinking about Arsenal like we think about West Ham. Is that they're just an annoyance rather <laughs> than actually, you know, anything. And Liverpool and Man City are the benchmark. So I'm going to go for Man City away because we were really good in that game. 
Yeah, it was a great game as well. Really good to watch. Yeah. So and and the way it ended, obviously. Yeah. So yeah. Well, yeah. can we have an honourable mention for Newcastle v Arsenal as well? Because <laughs> 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 that was fucking fantastic. It was. It was very good. It's almost like the part two, wasn't it? Yeah, but we'd already it? beaten them, hadn't we? That, that was yeah. that was it. They were broken. As, as Ram said, they were yeah. broken going like into that part two. But that, yeah. that, Arsenal just yeah. rolling over them like that. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the game of the season is Arsenal at home. You know, it's funny. I just wanted to, yeah. to mention this. You know, but, but one time, you know, my old man said, "Be an Arsenal fan." <laughs> Do you know what I said? <laughs> anyway, player, of the, it's all right. Don't worry. put your finger down. I'm not going to say it. Don't worry. God, he's getting jealous. <laughs> Player of the season, Eric Dyer, Sun Young Min, Pierre Mihoibier, Christian Romero, uh three, two, one, go someone. Sonny, golden boot winner. Uh uh and he's been yeah, he's just been uh Mr. Reliable okay. uh throughout the whole season. Okay. Um I think if my memory serves me correctly, I think we talked about this the other week and I said if Sonny gets the golden boot, then he will. And even if he's sharing the golden boot, he still, I think he gets it. Although I think he, I did say he was going to get it above my other pick, which would be Davis, but Davis not on the list anyway. So Sonny, by default, gets it for me. Right. Which one of us wants to go? You go. It would have been really? dire for me pretty much all the way up until April. Yeah. And then Sun. I think Sun's end to the season has been phenomenal. And for a player of his type to get the golden boot as well, I think you can't mm. you can't underestimate you can't really. He has been phenomenal. I'm, but I am going to go for Eric Dyer because uh, five goals conceded in your last eleven games of seven clean sheets tells you that the defence needed to be as rock solid as it was. And uh-huh. Eric Dyer is absolutely, I think the, the you know the the key pin, the underpin, the, the instrumental force in that defence. And indeed, in our season and in our dressing room and in our club, he just seems to be such a wonderfully powerful and positive figure. Um, on the pitch and off the pitch and I believe has been for many years so um, you know I'm an I'm an unashamed fan of Eric Dyer but I think my fandom is is fully fully justified with this season so for me he is uh, the player of the season but the award is going uh, you know quite rightly in another way to, to Sung Young Min so not going to argue with it uh, nice that we have so many good players to, to pick from isn't it I mean let's be fair um, okay, the final, uh, the final here is the highlight of the season. Um, oh boy, this is going to be tough. Can we just get four boots out? Bergwijn in added time against Leicester. The Doherty redemption. Matthew turning it around at Spurs. Sun Golden Boot. Conte v Arteta. Goodness gracious, that is a conundrum. Well, Ricky, you had your eyes whirling there, so unfortunately, I'm going to go to you first. That's cool. Um... That's the highlight. The highlight of this season so far, as well, has just been how many moments there have been and how many defining moments on and off the pitch. I mean, we've listed yeah. some there, but when you go through those games of the season and the goals of the season, and it's just it's it's been one of my favourite seasons by far. But I think the highlight, and this is probably why I didn't choose it as the goal, is definitely that oh, I think the Bergwijn in added time against Leicester. So I think, as you alluded to, Steph, uh, if if that game ended on ninety three minutes, we'd be in the Europa League now. So um, uh, those three points are absolutely massive. And also, I think, like we said at the time, they're the kind of moments you live for football for. I remember watching that Mm. on the telly and the percentages of that happening are absolutely... They're kind of like winning the lottery kind of things, I think. Because to equalise, fair enough, but to then have enough time to score that winner and 
then to also know how that feels when you're there at the ground and like you were saying earlier what football can do to you Steph you know emotionally and lift mm. your spirits and you that would just that'd be you set up for the rest of the week basically if you'd been to that game I mean even if you've not been to that game and I think that's why I'd go as the moment or the highlight of the season just because that's the best of football right in that moment that for me you've explained it so well Ricky and I think you know the highlight of the season I think as a as a highlight the others are more kind of slightly slow burners mm. you know um but where, whereas that was in that just that one snapshot of time I just I can vividly remember where I was just as the, as those goals went in and I remember us in our chat we were just going oh. crazy and it was just you know it was it was it was just such a beautiful moment and we, we've been lucky as Spurs fans you know even though if we've been starved of cups for the you know for, for the in recent history but when it comes to moments I think there are very few clubs that can match mm. us just for those singular moments and that Bergwijn for this season for me outdoes out the others. Really enjoyed Conte getting under Arteta's skin and Arteta looking completely lost on our touchline without any idea of what to do next and that rolling on to the Newcastle game. I mean, we he, Conte completely busted him and you know that that needling is going to go on into next season and that we're the next time we play, we're going into that game one nil up because he's chasing past defeats. Mm. Um, that was really, really good, really enjoyable. I think for me as well, it's Bergman against Leicester. It's what football's about. That's, just the, you know the excitement in the moment, and it was kind of like a low stakes Mora against Ajax. Yeah. Mm. Um, although in the end, maybe not so low stakes because that probably was the difference between Champions League and not Champions League. So yeah, yeah, yeah I true. think you're right. I think it's Bergman. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting because uh, another moment that was fairly similar was Kane's winner at Man City, which was uh, was 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 nearly mm. as exciting, but uh, I think uh, and, and very surprising. But yeah, look, I I think I'm with you all. Uh, Bergwijn and added time against Leicester. It is Ricky. You nailed it perfectly. Um, it is uh, those distilled moments. But I, like yourself, Milo, I, I think we've discussed this many times off pod. Um, the the the, the schooling of Lego head. Uh, by Antonio <laughs> was absolutely wonderful to witness both before during and after and 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 actually continues to be sort of an enduring memory of the season it's just so so funny I mean it's so amusing uh, and and so and, and even Ram I remember you joking about it as well you said I would love it if they because we were talking about like the fact <laughs> yeah. that he was going he was going FK full Keegan wasn't he uh Lego yeah. at that point so, uh, yeah, I mean, look, uh, honourable mention for Conte VR Tedder for a variety of reasons, but Stephen Bergwijn with another Glory Glenn. How ironic it is that a player that will probably not be with us next year is uh, getting two Glory Glens. And, you know, we'll be discussing all of that and more next week uh, with our squad review. <laughs> that window preview. We've got plenty to discuss. It's been exciting uh, already. It's been exciting in that regard. And doubtless, uh, we, we do love to, you know, Love to make these calls, don't we, on who's in, who's out, who's going to be shaking it all about in a Spurs shirt next season. Thank you very much, chaps. Cheers, Steph. That was, Cheers, a, Steph. That was a, lot, a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, just to, to round out, um, it's, been a, it's been a great season. We, we've, I think you can tell how much we've all enjoyed it. Um, if not, I encourage you to go back through our library of podcasts for the, for the uh, 
this season and 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 pick pick any episode you're going to hear the 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 fun and and games and and joy that we had from it it was certainly uh one of the best seasons i think we've had for some time we'll be back next week as i did just say with that squad review and we'll also be in throughout the summer with a weekly dose of spurs related chit chat maybe some songs maybe some jokes who knows what's going to happen but we are going to keep you entertained that is guaranteed as well as ourselves because Actually, we like getting together and doing this. What a positive for everyone. These episodes might come out in different ways over the summer, mind you. You might get some in clusters. Uh, You know, we're going to take a little advantage of not having to fit episodes around matches. But rest assured, there will be consistent content. Antonio wouldn't let us away with any less. So subscribe to The Game Is About Glory on your favourite pod platform to make sure that you don't miss any of it. And whilst you're there, leave us a five-star review. Thank you as always for joining us and we will see you next week.